Well, we have a challenge to accomplish this morning. We have a challenge to conquer this morning. Our goal today is pretty simple, that when we leave here in 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, however long it takes, everybody in this room is able to solve the Rubik's Cube in 4.9 seconds or less. That's the current world record of the Rubik's Cube is 4.9 seconds. So this morning, we've got to solve this challenge. I figured, what better time than Easter? Everybody's kind of wants fun and games. Let's solve a dilemma together. Who can solve the Rubik's Cube together and get everybody else trained in it? So I need a volunteer, someone that's going to get us started in the Rubik's Cube. Now, the key is you've got to be able to finish the Rubik's Cube before the end of the sermon and also give me back all of the main points of the message. <laughs> Who can finish the Rubik's Cube before the end of the sermon and remember every main point from the message? I figure an actuary should be able to handle that. I got one more here. All right. Yeah, we'll take you. Oh, he's a mathematics major. Thing. In reality, we didn't gather this morning to solve the challenge of the Rubik's Cube. I think you're well aware, as I'm well aware, that our challenges are much greater than matching up a bunch of colors on a bunch of different sides of a square. Our challenges are enormous. Today, there are people among us and people in this world who have thoughts that they are invaluable and not worthwhile. Today, all around our city and in some of our own homes, there will be an empty chair at the Easter table. Today or tomorrow, someone will receive news that they are not going to make it. Today, there are people with a thought in their mind that they don't even want to make it one more day. Today, there are people who have found their purpose by belittling others, if not destroying others. Today, somewhere in this world, multiple Christians will die, most likely beheaded, some burned, and some hung. Not only will multiple Christians die today, non-religious people will die today as well at the hands of evil people. Our challenges are enormous. Every human being faces the exact same challenge, the challenge of the grave. For death is universal and absolute. Every human being goes to the same destination. This morning, we gather together to talk about our greatest challenge, but also at the exact same time to remember and to celebrate the greatest challenge for humanity has been solved. Death was universal and absolute, but there is one who has conquered. There is one for who death was not universal and absolute, Jesus Christ. Death came and spoke, but Jesus shut it up. And today we celebrate that our greatest challenge has been conquered. Today we remember that the tomb is empty. Today we remember this crazy story that doesn't make any sense. Today we remember that somebody was dead 
And then they came back to life. And here's where it gets crazy. They stayed alive. This has not been done. This has not even been claimed to be done. Today, our greatest challenge has been solved by Jesus coming out of the tomb. Well, what confidence can we have that Jesus actually rose from the dead? We live in a world that seriously doubts everything. Just Not just the stuff in the Bible, but from day to day, people doubt anything and everything because you can go on Google and find something that says the opposite. So how can we have any confidence that this person came out of the tomb and came back to life? I want to share with you this morning two reasons that we can have confidence. And not so much so you can win an argument tomorrow at work, but more so your heart can have strength and boldness so that you personally can handle when the arrows come. The first reason that we can be confident in the resurrection is that Jesus had multiple appearances and the news was shared. This is extremely important to understand. When Jesus came back to life, he didn't just appear to Mary and Martha, two women who loved him dearly. I mean, it would have made sense in that sense for two women who were just, I mean, they were devastated. They had given their lives to this man for the last three years and followed him everywhere. It would make a ton of sense for those two women to say, hey, let's say he's alive. Let's let's make it so we don't look like we're so foolish that we are following someone like that. But Jesus didn't just appear to the two women. He also appeared to his disciples, the twelve, at different times. And then he appeared, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles open, look back up in verse 6. He says here, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, why is that important? It's important that it's in the letter because this letter is a public document. So it's not like Corinthians, this letter, 1 Corinthians, was snuck into the town of Corinth and said, hey, pass this around. Don't let anybody see it. This letter was available for anyone and everyone to read. So if someone doubted the resurrection, he's saying, hey, go talk to one of the 500 that saw it. He's putting it right out there in the open, in the public. We can take great confidence. Jesus appeared to multiple people, multiple different times, and that news was shared publicly. So often we think of Christianity and the Bible as the game of telephone. You know, you play the game, the first person starts with a message, shares the message, and then by the time the message gets down here, what happened? It's nothing like the message at the beginning. Well, the the news of resurrection wasn't Mary and Martha whispering to the 12, hey, I think we should say he's alive, and then 12 saying to some other, maybe 200, and then those 200 whispering to some others. I mean, the message at that point would have gotten to who knows what. But they're saying it in public, so as Mary is saying to the 12, hey, he's alive, some of these other people around here are hearing it, they could correct it, affirm it, or deny it. It's out in the open. It's in the public. Even the public leaders, the governors in Rome at that time, they didn't deny the resurrection of Jesus. What they did is they said this, if you talk about it, we'll kill you because we don't want anyone to know about it. They didn't deny it. They didn't post any public document. They didn't get a bunch of proof together that says it's a lie. No, what they tried to do is just kill those who were talking about it. They hey, don't say it anymore because we don't want Jesus to be king. We still want to be king. We can take great confidence in the resurrection. It was proclaimed publicly, and he appeared publicly. 
The other reason that we can take great confidence in the resurrection is that it's an unthinkable message to proclaim. To you and I, the resurrection isn't that foreign of an idea because most of us probably grew up hearing about it. You expect to come on Easter Sunday and hear what? He's alive! I mean, if you came on Easter Sunday and you heard, oh, still in the tomb, you'd be like, what's going on here? Did some, no, no, some new news come out? You expect to hear the news about the resurrection. We have to understand this. The original disciples, they didn't expect the resurrection. It wasn't part of their thought about life after death. The Jews, when they thought about life after death, they didn't have an idea or a concept of what happened. But the only concept they really had is that the Spirit somehow went into a prison of some sort and was kind of held there until the Messiah returned. But they didn't even have much teaching on that because they really didn't have it worked out in their minds, this idea of life after death. And then the Greeks believed that the physical body, the flesh, was evil. So what they believed was is that after death, your spirit is finally released from jail. So to the Greeks, they, would, they wouldn't want the resurrection because the Greeks would have been like, well, why do you want another body? Why do you want flesh again and more jail time for your spirit? And so this idea of the disciples inventing the story of the resurrection doesn't make any sense. If they were going to invent a story that would have picked up momentum and kept the religious movement going, they could have gotten a lot more support from the Jewish community and the Greek community if they would have went down a path of something like, hey, Jesus' spirit appeared to us, and his spirit promised us that our spirits are going to join with his spirit someday. That would have made a ton of sense, but they didn't proclaim that message because that's not what happened. They proclaimed a message that was very odd to people. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is giving a sermon. And he's giving a sermon to a group of people that are unfamiliar with Christianity. And he finishes it by saying, hey, you've heard about that man Jesus who was crucified by the Roman government? I mean, everybody knew that. Even the atheists in our city, in our country, around the world, atheists agree that a man named Jesus was crucified. The question is, what happened after he was crucified? So Paul says, hey, you've heard that story about Jesus being crucified. And then he says, that Christ whom you crucified... He's risen from the dead. That's the sermon he's given. And this is what it says about the crowd. It says this, Some sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. It makes sense that the crowd sneered. They're like, What? What are you talking about? Someone coming back from the dead. That's crazy. But then the rest of the crowd's like, Whoa, hey, I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more that there's life after death. Again, all of this is showing that the message of the resurrection is unthinkable. Nobody had this planned out. It shows that the resurrection was an actual event that took place. We can have confidence that Christianity is formed and started not by a religious experience that's acceptable, but a religious experience that no one expected. There's a big difference between a religious experience that's acceptable and a religious experience that no one accepts, expected. For example, there's two major religions in the world that are growing rapidly. Mormon. Mormon is growing rapidly in America and also all around the world. Mormonism was started off of an acceptable religious experience. Someone received a vision from a higher being and said, this is what I've been told. 
Well, people who are religious believe in a higher being. Therefore, it makes sense that someone received a vision. So therefore, Mormonism starts and grows because it makes sense that you'd have a vision from a higher being. Islam, growing rapidly all around the world and in our own country, started off of an acceptable religious experience. Someone gets a vision, someone gets new teaching put in their heads and said, hey, this is what I received from Allah, the one God. So people are like, makes sense. And so that religious movement picks up momentum because it started off of an experience that's acceptable to religious people. Christianity starts from an experience that's unexpected. Not just unexpected, but not even thought about or desired by a lot of people. But yet, what happens? Christianity becomes the biggest movement in the history of humanity. Not because it made sense, but because it happened. We can have great confidence in our hearts and our minds today that the resurrection is an event that took place. If the resurrection is an event that took place, the question is, what are the implications for you and I today and tomorrow and for life after death? If the resurrection of Jesus took place, there's a new purpose for you and I today. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you still have your Bibles open. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. The Apostle Paul does a little paragraph here and argues, saying, hey, what if Christ wasn't raised from the dead? If Christ wasn't raised, this is what it would mean for you. First, verse 14, your faith is in vain. And then verse 17, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying this, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, your faith is worthless because you're trusting in someone who's dead. You're trusting in someone who can't do anything for you. Look what it says here next. If Christ has not been raised, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Christ did not raise from the dead, anyone that says the name of Jesus should be called a fool. They themselves should be called fool because they're believing in something foolish that can't do anything for them after this life. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is worthless. Now go down to verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. The Apostle Paul is quoting a, a common saying that existed then, basically the saying meant, hey, do whatever you want because nothing matters. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, Hey, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, any urge that you get in your flesh, you should act on it right now. That urge to, to drink a little bit and have a merry time, act on it. Because guess what? That's all you got. The desire of your flesh is all you got and there's nothing after it. So what? Act on the desire of the flesh. In other words, the Apostle Paul is basically saying this. If Christ has not been raised, it's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. Everybody just act on the impulse of their flesh. Do what they want. We have no hope beyond this. So the strongest and the most powerful should enjoy and love what you got right now. If Christ has not been raised, everything is meaningless. But what if Christ has been raised? If Christ has been raised, 
Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Something else happens. Verse 25, 26 on here. For he must reign, Jesus, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And then the next couple of verses keep going back and forth on this issue of being subject to Christ or being subject to the Father. Very, what Paul is saying here is that because Christ has risen from the grave, guess who's in charge right now? Jesus. Everything has been put in subjection to Jesus. In other words, since Jesus has raised from the dead, He is King. He has all authority. So if Jesus is King, if He has all authority, if everything in heaven and earth is subject to Him, guess what my purpose in life is? My purpose in life is to honor Jesus in all that I do. Very simple. A very simple mission statement for all of us today. My purpose is to honor Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is saying, my life exists to honor Jesus. So many people, including some of us here today, have got a, a deluded view of Christianity. We believe Christianity is this. Avoid certain really bad behaviors and participate in some ritual activities. And if I do a combination of both, I feel good about myself. The proof is in the pudding. Go to 85% of the funerals in this city and across our country. You go to a funeral, what's almost always said in the obituary? They were a member of this group in the church. Or it's talked about they participated so much in these different things. Again, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but guess what? That's declaring that's the hope. When we think we are Christians by participating in certain activities and avoiding really bad stuff, we've missed the whole point. I know I at least grew up thinking and still fall into the trap someday that it's all about how close to the line can I get without crossing it. And as long as I don't cross the line, I'm, I'm good. No, 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 no. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Eat or drink. I mean, you don't get more meaningless than a morning orange juice and sleep. That's just daily activity, but God's Word says what? Do that to the honor of Jesus. Glory of God means to bring honor to God. In other words, my life purpose is to honor Jesus. When you understand this, it changes everything. Now I wake up in the morning and I say, when I go to work today, I want to honor Jesus. The way that I treat my neighbor, I want to honor Jesus. It's not, mm, I just don't want to do something bad. No, I want to honor Jesus. This last week, I was shopping in a local store and coming up to check out. And as I was checking out, chaos ensued. I had my two kids with me and those marketers, they're sharp. You know, they put everything right at eye level where the kids can grab. So the kids are grabbing stuff and I'm trying to pay and, the, and I get my card out. I swiped my card before I was allowed to swipe my card. And Tom was the person's name helping me and Tom's like hey are you a rewards member oh, I'm not a re nobody asked me if I'm a rewards member no I'm not a rewards member and then after that hey, would you like to donate a dollar to this hospital or that hospital and I'm like hey Tom my kids are trying to steal stuff from your shelves over here think do you think we could maybe pay and get out no no I'm giving you an insight of what's going on in my mind what's going on in my mind is I'm helping Tom I, this is what's going through my mind shut the bleep up and let's pay and get out of here. That's what's going on in my mind. What the? No, oh, come on. Now, I, and as I'm doing that, I got it in my mind now. 
the sermon because I have to listen to the sermon the whole week. So all I've got in my mind is what? My purpose is to honor Jesus. So I, I got I to encourage Tom today because my goal when I leave here is that Tom wasn't like, jeez, that guy was a jerk. And get, glad to get, get those two kids out of here too. They were jerks as well. And no, my goal, even though I had the flesh saying something, I know that I had to say, hey, Tom, thanks. Have a great day. Hope you get some time with family and friends this weekend. That's not exactly what I was feeling, but I, had to, I knew in my mind, my purpose is I want to honor Jesus. Even in how I treat Tom, the cash register. Same is true for you in what you're doing this next week. As you're spending time with your spouse, or you're spending time with your kids, or you're spending time at work working out a business deal, or you're teaching in the classroom, your purpose is to honor Jesus because Jesus has authority over everything. Today, if you came wondering, why do I exist? What's my purpose in life? Is it just to consume, consume, consume? No, your purpose in life is to honor Jesus. Jesus. I want us to say this statement here together because I want us to ingrain this in our minds and our hearts that this is our personal mission statement. Let's read this together. My purpose is to honor Jesus. Straightforward and simple. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He is king over everyone, king over everything. Therefore, my purpose is to honor him. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just life insurance For the years ahead, the resurrection of Jesus changes my today because it gives me a whole new purpose today. As long as, well, Jesus' resurrection gives me a new purpose today, but guess what? It gives me a guaranteed future as well. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, now we're up to verse 20. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, First fruits of those who have fallen asleep, what does that mean? The word first fruit means that it's the initial crop, that it's the very first crop that was taken out of the field. And so first fruits, people would bring their first crop into the temple as an offering. But the reason they brought their first crop into the temple is because they believed there was what? More crops to come. They're not going to bring their crop in if they felt like this is all I'm going to have. But the reason they were willing to bring their first fruits in is because they believed there was more to come. So when it says here that Jesus is the first fruit, this is what it's saying. Jesus is the first, and there's a whole lot more to come. Look with me if you would down here in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 23 then, he says this, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In other words, Because of the resurrection of Jesus, my eternal destiny is a resurrected body in an everlasting kingdom. This is it. This is life after death. We don't talk enough about this at all. There is so much confusion in the Christian church about life after death. There's no confusion in the Bible. The Bible is crystal clear about what happens when you die. And this morning, if there's one thing that I want everybody to be able to leave here this morning and know, I want you to have crystal clarity on what happens when you die. The Bible says two things when you die. First is this, you go to sleep. You rest in the presence of God. That's why it says, if you look with me, back up here, 1 Corinthians 15, go back up to verse 6. It says, He appeared to 500 brothers at one time, 
most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. When a Christian dies, their soul, their spirit goes to rest in the presence of God. We don't know. This is where there's a little bit of mystery involved. We don't know how it works or what happens. We do know this, though. There's, no heaven, there's, there's not a heaven. The soul or the spirit is not in heaven driving a tractor or playing golf. The soul or the spirit is resting in the presence of God because our hope is not spirits flying around on clouds. Our hope is a brand new body in a whole new kingdom that will last for eternity. So when you die, you go to sleep and you rest peacefully in the presence of God. And then when Christ returns, guess what? You get a brand new body. Christ brings you out of your sleep, gives you a brand new body that's immortal, that's eternal, that will not perish. This is your future. This is your hope. This is good news, people, that you get a body that you won't have to wonder, oh, is the shoulder going to work anymore? When's the hair going to stop going? You need to stop. It's going to be done. You're going to have a perfect body because this is our hope is a resurrected body in an everlasting kingdom. This life that you're living right now is not all there is, but there's a whole lot more to come. This morning, the resurrection of Jesus changes my today because today I have a new purpose. My purpose is to honor Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus changes my eternity because now my eternal destiny is a resurrected body in an everlasting kingdom. Now, this sentence is a little more complicated, but let's read this together to burn it in our hearts and in our minds. My eternal destiny is a resurrected body in an everlasting kingdom. This morning, it's my hope and my plea that all of us can leave here and know that. Not say it, but know it in our hearts and in our minds. That each of us can leave here today and live our new purpose of seeking to honor Jesus. Very simple question. What are we going to do with the resurrection? What are you going to do with it? You can deal with reality today or you can push it off like most of us do. We like this pattern. Ignore and delay. Right? How do you handle most of the problems in your life? Ignore and delay. When someone kind of becomes a pain in your life, what do you do? You just don't call them. You avoid them at the office, right? So you don't have to see them, you don't have to deal with it. There is a reality that all of us need to deal with. That reality is death. Death is universal and death is unpredictable. You might be saying, oh, pastor, you're getting us all emotionally worked up and and scaring us. No, I'm not getting you all scared and emotional. I'm just talking facts right now. A hundred percent death rate. Last time I checked. The question is, are you going to deal with that reality or push it off? And if you push off that reality, guess what happens? You miss the meaning for today because you miss the life of living to the honor of Jesus. I used to be one of those guys who would drive down the street in the winter and had only scraped off this amount of space on my windshield. I know, judge me, I was that guy. And then all of a sudden I got married and started to have kids. And since we don't use the garage, which is another issue, but since we have the car parked in the driveway, it's basically my job to go out and start the car then. And what do I got to do? If I start the car, I've got to what? Scrape the windows. Well, guess what? 
When there's a wife in the vehicle, there's kids in the vehicle, it's no longer a little credit card thing that you're looking through. You scrape the whole window off. Why? Because the stakes are high. You're dealing with a new reality. The stakes are really high today because the reality we're dealing with is the challenge that we will all face is death. Will I ignore that reality or will I deal with, deal with it? This morning, I want to encourage you to do one of three things. One of three things is our response this morning. First is this. Maybe it's your day to confess your need for Jesus and confess faith in Jesus. You might call this accepting Jesus in your heart. You might call it crossing the finish line, whatever you call it. But today you need to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I trust in you as my Savior. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time or you've heard the message. You just have never crossed the finish line. You need to say it. At the same time, maybe this morning, you need to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Maybe you've had your life insurance punched from the way you were looking at it. You're good to go. But day-to-day wise, there's no difference at all in your life. Because you've been missing half the coin. Half of the coin is that Jesus is supreme today. Do you need to acknowledge today, Jesus, it's not just about life after death, but it's about life today. Acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Or thirdly, maybe you need to examine certain areas in your life today. You, you know you've been seeking to follow after Christ. You're in that pattern. You, you're seeking to live that disciplined life of following after Christ. You have confidence in your heart today. Maybe today you simply need to say, you know what? I need to specifically examine my relationships. I need to specifically examine my work life. And I need to say, is Jesus being honored? All of us are in different places, but I would contend that all of us are in one of those three places this morning. I want to ask you today, to take a step, to make a commitment of where you're at. Acknowledge the challenge that you face while realizing that the challenge has been conquered by Jesus. And respond to that conquering by doing one of these three things. How's our Rubik's Cube coming? All right, a little work? Got one side, not even one side. Done. Man. Talk about not getting a challenge conquered. Well, the good news today is that we're not dependent upon Tim and Derek's Rubik's Cube abilities. The good news today is that the ultimate challenge of the grave has been conquered. And now the question is, how will you respond? I would ask this morning that you'd pull out your connection card that's in your bulletin. Everybody should have a bulletin, hopefully. Just grab that connection card that's in your bulletin this morning. Pull that right out. As you're pulling out your connection card this morning, it's important that we respond. Every time God's word goes forth, there should be a response from our hearts and our minds. This morning, you've heard good news. This morning, you've been told the conquering story. Now the question is, how are you going to respond to this? Just flip that um, connection card over. There should be a spot on there where you can write comments, leave a prayer request or whatever. I just want you to write one of three things on there today. Is today that you're going to confess? Is today the day you're going to acknowledge? Or is today the day you're going to examine? Just take a response today. Respond to God's Word today. Are you going to confess? Are you going to acknowledge? Or are you going to examine? 
Today's the day to deal with reality. I want to invite you to do that.